0: So as Nancy was saying, uh, we are continuing our series on Kingdom Vision. I was going to adjust this, but I might just take this. No, I will adjust this. Or I'll just tippy-toe, and I'll be much taller the whole time. Um, We are continuing our series on Kingdom Vision, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of a recap, uh, kind of what we've been talking about and what's kind of been happening. Um, The first week, I spoke on Genesis, and we were thinking about what does it mean that God has... uh, what does the kingdom of God look like? Um, in fact, what is God's vision for his kingdom? And we looked first at uh, Genesis, and we looked at paradise in the very beginning. And these are some of the things that we found out about what God's original intention for mankind and humanity was. It was things like this, that he had uh, created us uh, with a purpose and responsibility, that we were intimate and precious to him, that it was a designed and deliberate choices that he was making. At the same time, he wanted us to have community and connection. Uh, last week, uh, Ben continued and he looked at Genesis 12 and kind of talked about um, this was almost the first kind of uh, mandate given by God. And also the same kind of covenant promise. One is we found out that we knew that actually God is just, he is fair, uh, that God is also in control, that he is bigger than all of this. And finally, that the kingdom is for everyone, uh, that it wasn't just for one race, but actually for all nations to come and know God. Um, It's at this point that we kind of jump ahead, and we're going to jump to Revelation, because uh, we're going to talk about the city of God. Now, if you don't know, my wife is a town planner, and if you also didn't know, my sister is also a uh, town planner. Uh, They are involved in planning and organizing cities and deciding things. I will say right now, before you all rush my wife afterwards to complain about the traffic and the roads and things like that, uh, my wife is not a traffic engineer, but there may be another traffic uh, planner engineer in our church, but I won't name names. Uh, He's not here at the moment. Um, But with that, uh, I have a very high interest in cities. I have a very high interest in architects and building and planning and things like this. Uh, I've discovered that uh, whoever you're married to Uh, If your communication is effective or in some ways, uh, someone will tell you all about their job all the time. So now I know all sorts of things about planning and HMOs, uh, housing with multiple occupancy and kind of new legislation and things looking ahead. uh, Whether the Commonwealth Games was a good idea for the planning of the city or a negative one. All sorts of fun things like this. And of course, with that, I thought to myself, well... In that case, what does the city of God kind of look like? I mean, is the city of God planned? Like, what's its, uh, what's its uh, waste management program? Like, what's that going to look like? Are they going to have uh, bin people that go on strike? Um, what does this city look like? And the more I thought about a city, the more I kept thinking about the buildings or how tall they were or what they're like. And uh, recently, I've been up to Manchester, and I noticed that they have really tall buildings. I'm like, oh, they look like a real city, um, you know, like Singapore or something like that. Uh, and then I looked at ours. Oh, we don't have any big buildings. Does that... Is that what makes? And then I found out that we're building like a very large building is being built in Birmingham as well. And I thought, oh, but is that what makes a city? Like, what is it that constitutes a city? Well, it turns out actually, um, before all this happens, I started reading Revelation twenty one, and this is kind of the first. It's not the first introduction of a city, but this is one of the greatest pictures that God gives of what this final city might look like. And Revelation 21, it says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, Now, there's a couple interesting things here that's kind of being talked about. One is that there's this beautiful holy city, but it's not just described as a city. It's described as a bride, which we normally don't think of unless you're married to your work and you're a planner. Then it really is the city that you're marrying. But in this case, what does this mean that there's this holy city that at the same time is beautiful as a bride? Um, We'll explore that a little bit later. But the beautiful thing about this is that in this city, in the city of God, there is this absolute closeness with God himself, that he's dwelling with us. But the other thing is that there is no more um, heartache or no more torment or no more misery. There's no more death. There's no more shame. And, And we read this verse a lot in times of funeral or in times of mourning when we realize it is so heartbreaking to lose someone or it's so difficult to say goodbye or watch someone suffer But here we have this beautiful picture that at the end of things, that God, in this closeness with us, means those times of mourning and grieving are over. But there's this time of great peace and of great hope and of great love. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in our city, um, when you're new in a city, you can be scared. You can be afraid. You can be lost. You can be confused. You can be missing home. You can be missing your family. And when you're in a city like that, it just feels new but not in a good way. When we think about the final city, this time with God, there's this place where actually it's not a foreign place. This is where I belong. This is where I know things make sense. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I really long for that city. I am from America. I was born in actually the Midwest of America called Ohio. I will not tell you the city because that's a security question. when I was uh, younger, when I was probably about five or six, my parents moved to Los Angeles, and we moved into the city called Montreal Park, uh, which then eventually became known as Shao Taipei because so many Taiwanese people moved into the area. Um, and uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, I... Felt at home there only because that's where I grew up, that's the city I knew. But then I moved out here to the UK, and at first I lived in Loughborough, then I lived in Sheffield, and I lived in Carter for a little bit, and now I live in Birmingham. And at the same time, my parents are from Taiwan originally, so they're from Kaohsiung. Um, So whenever I think of Taiwan, I I remember the the taxi cabs coated in plastic and the smell of cigarettes in the taxi cab. That's my memory of it. Um, And the, the question is, which city do you feel most at home at? And it becomes this question where, like, I, I'm not sure where I feel at home. And at the same time, when I am with family or when I am other believers, I am as at home everywhere. And this is where we're going to start thinking about and looking at, actually, what does it mean that God has this city, this new Jerusalem? Believe it or not, uh, our first starting point is actually, what's a city? Now, I always like to think of it as buildings, but actually, a city is actually really just a gathering of people. Uh, It's actually That's all what a city is It is a gathering of people A large settlement of people Where a lot of people decide to make their homes Um, And in fact it's more important than a town or a village Because there's a smaller gatherings and settling of people In other words It is a large habitation of people The city itself is not about the buildings or the architects No matter how many architects say No it's about what beautiful design there is It is actually about the people who live there um, very interestingly enough, uh, Walt Disney had decided to build a community when he was uh, also planning Walt Disney World. He had planned to build this uh, almost suburban utopia. Uh, and a lot of uh, architect planners have these dreams of creating these perfect places uh, where people live in these kind of perfect, harmonious kind of cities. And uh, he built this, this absolute amazing kind of place. And then something didn't work out, and no one moved in. And it's just kind of this abandoned city. But is it a city if no one lives there? No, it's just an abandoned lot. Uh, You also see this in uh, China because there was a fast uh, growth. They had all these people prepare to be building cities. Now, if you don't know about this, they are already preparing for super mega cities to be built in. Let Let me rephrase that. They are building super mega cities in China, preparing for people to move in them. But at the moment, the buildings are still empty. Now, this massive land mass is full of buildings, but there's no one living in them. So it's not quite a city, because what really makes a city is the people, the habitation of people in there. For us, when we begin to understand that, you can say, well, actually, God's intention from the beginning was to have a large habitation of people. In Genesis 2, the first, actually, thing that God says to them after he's created, actually, before Genesis 2, Genesis 1, and the end of Genesis 1, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And actually, later, he says in... uh, Genesis 9, after Noah, uh, he says, Be fruitful and multiply and increase upon it. In fact, God's original intention was that mankind would reproduce and there would be so many of us that we would settle together so that we would make this kind of city. Even by Genesis 4, Cain, after he had been kicked out of uh, Eden and moved after not only been kicked out of Eden but left Adam and Eve, he had already says in Genesis 4 that he began to build the city. In other words, these settlements of people began to come together. And God's plan was that actually all of us in this garden originally would have come together to build this settlement, this place, this gathering of people for God. And that was his original intention, to somehow along the way become a city of God. At the very basic, what we know is then a city of God is this. It is a gathering of his people. Now, again, you should start already be thinking, well, If a city is the gathering of his people, where do I fit in? Am I one of God's people or am I not? If I am, then I'm already part of the city that he's building. But if I'm still standing on the outside, then where do I fit in? As the Bible unfolds, uh, there's also other great things that come up. There's the introduction of the t- introduction of the tabernacle, which is the precursor to the temple. There's the mountains, which talks about getting closer to God. And all of this is kind of reflecting this idea that somehow God has a place, that there is this, this, this space where God will take up. And at the same time, it will let us draw close to me eventually. And we come to Jerusalem, which is the question of whether this is the city of God. See, the other question is actually who is in charge of uh, Jerusalem. So uh, after this, what happened was uh, the Israelites uh, came out. They eventually conquered. They accept this uh, place called Jerusalem, which is the capital of their nation. It was somewhere between a temple city and also a government city. So it had both a spiritual but also kind of a legal kind of place. But the idea was whose authority was there, and this was not about uh, yesterday's thrilling Norwich victory over Man City, Uh, but this is the question of whether it is Man City or uh, God City, Uh, and who owns what. See, when Jerusalem was there, uh, at first it was King David who had God's blessing, who was over it, and was ruling over that city. And after King David passed away, his son took over, King Solomon. And both of these people were still anointed and chosen by God. But the question of who was actually in ownership or in rulership of this city? What you saw was eventually the earthly Jerusalem became more and more owned and run by man's own desires, by man's own selfishness, by their own plans, so that eventually the nation itself would be split and then Jerusalem would fall and uh, the people of Israel would be moved into exile. In other words, a city that is ruled and controlled by man is not going to stand forever. But only a city that is ruled and owned by God has its eternity there. If it is man-governed, then somewhere along the way, mankind is going to choose its own selfish route or make its own selfish decisions. The book of Kings is fascinating because as you look through all the kind of kings that are coming through there, some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them uh, trust God, but a lot of them, as time goes on, start becoming and acting more selfishly. It's also interesting because when we look at our modern day kind of political systems and situations, we see the same sort of thing. Sometimes there are good presidents or prime ministers, sometimes there are bad. Sometimes there are really bad ones, sometimes there are okay ones. Sometimes there's war, that leads to a regime change, and other times there is not. But what we do see in all of this, that you might have a good earthly leader, but oftentimes you also have a bad earthly leader. But when we think about what Jerusalem was supposed to be, or the city of God, is that it actually has to be defined because it is ruled by God. God needs to be the ruler of the city. In other words, if a city is a gathering of people, and this is a city already. Let's say we are all people who know Jesus. Is this kind of some settlement of God's people. The second thing is that this city must be ruled by God. You can't have multiple rulers of this city. You can't have yourself say, no, I want to rule this city. You have to say, well, this city needs to be ruled and operated by God. It has to be his ideas and his decisions and his way of living That will make this city work. Otherwise, you can say, well, I'm just going to go on strike whenever I feel like it. I just don't want to show up. I don't want to do these things. I want to do my own thing. I want to split off and start my own city. And then you begin to get lost. And you begin to find out, actually, I cannot be at war with a person who is in charge. The other thing that we see about God's city is that there is an eternal intention, So in Hebrews, which also talks about the city, it says, for he was looking forward, and he's talking about Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, this is before Jerusalem, and this is uh, in Hebrews. They're talking about uh, remembering Abraham. And Abraham's promise to be made into this great nation, there's this thing where he's saying, actually, Abraham knew that the city he was looking forward to wasn't one that he was going to live in. In fact, it wasn't even an earthly city. It was a heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. And it's interesting because he's saying, yeah, actually, because if he was thinking of an earthly city, he would have said, well, you know what? I'm going to go back home now. I'm going to build my city here. There's no reason why I can't build a city in this place. I want to go back to that place. But he said, actually, and he knew that my home and my actual place where I belong is somewhere else. It is in a place where the architect and builder is God. Now, if you think of architects and builders, what's the normal thing? Thing you think of. If you've ever had a building, I, I like to think of architects and builders. Are the architect is the one who designs it, and the builder one is the one who does all the work to actually make it happen. Um, so I think the joke is uh, Frank Geary will uh, crumple up some paper, throw it onto the side, and then tell the engineers, now you make this out of titanium, and then they just have to try to make it. And the engineers say, that's impossible. And then they'll make something like the Guggenheim in Bilbao and stuff like that. Um, but what we understand here is actually, we're saying actually God himself, he is the architect and the builder. He is the one who designs the city, and he's also the one who builds it. Well, what does that mean? Is he building buildings, or is he building elements of a city? If we know that the city is actually the habitation of people, and God himself is the architect and the builder, what he is building are people, individuals, you and me. We are that city. It's why Jesus is the living stone. You understand? These are all the things that he's building. He's not building buildings. He's not architecting buildings. He's architecting a plan for us and building us to be the citizens of his heavenly kingdom, to be his living city of God. Now, if this is true, you have to say, okay, well, God, then I will let you architect me and I will let you build me. Otherwise, I'm going to be the kind of stone or the kind of element in the city that is not functioning, not working well, self-reliant, that's actually discovering that you are not able to make this city grow. It says, further on in Hebrews 12, it says, uh, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So when he's talking about Mount Zion, he's talking about the living of the city of God, he's not talking about buildings at all. He's talking about the people. And the relationships that exist there that have been built and designed by God himself. It's great because when you think about this a little bit further, when you understand what it means that God is the architect, he says, you know, from the plan, from the very beginning, I'm going to make a way that the city can exist. And what the city needs to be, it needs to be perfect. It needs to be holy. It has to be absolutely pure. And the only way that's going to happen is if Jesus comes. I'm going to create the perfect refining tool so that every element in the city can be made holy and pure and perfect. That is my architectural plan. And not only that, I'm going to send Jesus to be the one who builds that first and the Holy Spirit that will continue building that in all of our lives. When we think back to the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, when there's this precious and perfect, there's this intimate and personal plan that God has with us. You begin to understand God is so deliberate that he cares so much about each of you individually and your situations and and who you are and what's going on. He is not distant, but rather he desires and he yearns so much to have your access and your willingness to say, yes, God, I desire to be architected and be built by you. So that I'm not just the best version of myself that I can be, but rather I'm the version of myself I did not even know was possible. Because, God, you are the greatest designer. And you are so deliberate, and you're so personal, and you're so intimate. This this is your plan. See, if we think of ourselves again like this kind of elements that make up a city, these little hexagons here. And we know that actually Christ, he was the one in the very beginning. And he's the one. And the idea was that Christ, as our foundation, would then turn this city into a place where everyone is defined by Christ. And, and you're, you're made holy. You're made clean. And the, the city is where actually it is because Christ is the foundation. He's the cornerstone by which we can dwell. Like, this is God's picture of the city of God, what it looks like. And we're all there together, and we're all on the same page. And there's this life there. We're all made pure and holy because of that. Revelation 21, when we look at it again, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. You understand? It's like that picture of Jesus there, and we're surrounding him. Like, he is there with us. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. When you read this again, you understand that that's the city. That is us we are that city he will wipe every tear from their eyes there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said i am making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true it's this beautiful picture that actually you know the guilt and the shame you have of doing something wrong you know god has washed that away when you're standing before the pure and holy god almighty and you say you know what In my life, I have all these regrets. The way I treated these people or the way I dealt with my family or the way I worked in school, God still says, I still love you, I forgive you, and I welcome you to be in my city. For the times of hurt that you have experienced, whether it is uh, caused by someone else that you know and love or someone who is distant, God still forgives and wipes those tears away. For the times of loss and of mourning that you've had, God brings clarity and love into those places. The passage in Revelation 21 goes on, and it says, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, this is important to read, and this is the stuff sometimes we don't like reading about because it's saying, like, well, there's going to be these people who are, who are not just sinners, but they are people who hate God, who are waging war against him. Those are going to be out of the city. Why, is, why do we have to read this? Because if the city accepted just that brokenness, then what kind of foundations would it be on? See, God is offering something else. He's saying, look, for those who believe, for those who receive Jesus, he will forgive and he will remake that person into this stone that can fit in this city. But for the people who reject God, what can you do? What, what can God do? He cannot take that. Imagine you are this piece of uh, metal and there's impurities in you. And the manufacturing firm says, you know what? We can only use the most pure kind of aluminum. Otherwise, we can't uh, use it for our products, our new products, or the, or the most refined kind of glass. Let's say it's that. And you come to this thing and it looks like, oh, it's, um, it's got all these impurities in it. Your options here at this point is, well, we can take it, we can burn it and make it pure again and refine it further, or we can throw it out. Now, if it was up to this piece of aluminum. Maybe they would say, you know what, I I like having these infirmities in me. I think it's cool. I'm quite happy. You know, I do not want to be burned and refined. I would like to stay as my own kind of uh, broken piece of aluminum. And if you don't like me, that's your problem because I can be whoever I want to be. And uh, this person's like, well, you can. That is fine. You may go in that direction, but we can no longer use you, and you will have to sit there in the pile of all the other rubbish. That is your, you can go ahead and do that. I don't think it's a great option in real life. She's like, you just don't care enough about me, so I'm going to go and sit here with everyone else, and, and that's on you. Where the person's like, well, really? Because I am offering you the opportunity to be completely honed and refined so that not only are you able to be used, but rather the best of you, can be created into something new and wonderful that brings God glory see what God is trying to tell us look if we are his citizens if we are choosing to be part of the city of God if we have known his love then we have to say you know what God I do not want to live in sin any longer I don't want to keep doing those same things God I need to change And you start by saying, God, not not only do I need to change, God, I need you to change me. I need you to refine me. I need you to burn away those impurities so that I am a greater citizen of heaven, that I know even greater more and more what it means to know that I am a citizen built on Jesus. I don't know about you, but that is the greatest opportunity that he gives us, to say that we have the opportunity to be the city of God that is built on Jesus. We have to just say, yeah, okay, God, do it. Whatever you want me to do, do it. Let me, remold me. Make me, make me so unhappy with the, the way that I'm so comfortable with these things so that I can grow and I can be more like you. I want to highlight this a little bit more. So in, in the, as Revelation 21 goes on, and we have to understand how important holiness is to God. Uh, Revelation 21 goes on and, and talks about, uh, just before this, talks a lot about uh, the, the jewels that it's made of and how beautiful uh, the city is. And it says, the angel who talked with me had a measure, uh, measuring rod of gold uh, to measure the city because, you know, all architects and planners always have their architects rule out. And so let me measure this for you and tell you how it is. Uh, it's gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 Stadia in length and as wide and as high it is long. Okay, so very quickly, uh, what, is that, what is that describing? So if something is 12,000 wide and high, cube. a cube. Yes, very true. It is, a, it is a cube. This is the most exciting thing that I did. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. It's a cube. Wow. Okay, so I'm serious. Now, okay. Now, see, you think that is cool. Um, do you know in the temple? Do you know in the, the temple back then, um, the most holy place? What are the dimensions of the most holy place? Also a cube. Also a perfect cube. And the tabernacle, also a perfect cube. In other words, from the very beginning, God is laying out this idea. Look, this, this idea that there's this perfect space, this... Um, I, I don't know why I chose a cube. Probably because it was easier than trying to make a sphere, whatever. But... Um, <laughs> You know, he has this perfect cube. He can say, look, everything here is measured perfectly. And in this place is the most holy place where only God himself can dwell and be. And so when we get to the, finally, to the city of heaven, you know, when we get down to the city of God, he's saying that most holy place, that is where you are. That is where God dwells with you now. So this beautiful picture becomes, you know, the tabernacle was a small cube. The temple was a bigger cube. The city of God is this massive cube. And God is saying, this whole time, God himself can be in the center of that space. But now you, you dwell here with me. He's not saying it's an actual cube, that we're going to live all inside this cube, that somehow the the earth is going to be a cube shape. What he is saying is that that most holy place, that is where you and I will be allowed to be but also then highlights that while we are here on earth, this holiness is something we have to yearn for. Our church has been growing in size, but that doesn't mean anything if we don't grow in depth. We need to, as Christians, grow deeper and love him more and desire him more and walk in holiness more. We cannot settle for just being second or third or fourth or fifth-class citizens in the city that God has created because he has desired for us to be in this most holy place as first-class citizens with him. In Revelation 21, it goes on and says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On, the, on, no, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's this perfect picture of, you know when it's talking about the gates will never be shut because there's no night? It's saying you don't ever have to be afraid. You don't have to lock your doors at night because somehow someone's going to come in and steal your stuff. It is the perfect place of safety and of peace. And of belonging, and of hope, and of and of the love of God. And not only that, there, there's no one that's going to be trying to trick you, or cheat you, or steal you, or uh, not do their work and be lazy, so that you have to do double of the work for it in their place. You know, it is this place of perfection. Now, now, I don't know about you, but actually, I really, I would love for that to be here on earth now, right? Wouldn't that be so amazing? Like, we could all, we would not be debating over uh, if we have to pay for money for public transport or if poor people get to eat food. You know, like, we, we would just be like, you know what, God has provided, and we could share all these things because we are not living in this kind of broken earthly world. But we're not there yet, and God is saying, well, let's work as citizens of heaven to belong. I don't know if you also know this, but in Revelation, there's actually two cities that show up. There's the city of God and the city of man. Um, The city of God, uh, it's very clearly, it's a high reference as uh, Jerusalem, or it's also called the bride, as we read earlier. But the city of man, it's also called Babylon, which shows up throughout the Bible as well, uh, but it's also called the prostitute. And the idea is this, they are, okay, they're not brides, or they're not prostitutes, or it's not city. You understand, these are all people, right? If we were talking about a gathering of people, you're either the city of God where you're gathering together as his citizens, living in this kind of perfect place, so then when you are presented before God, you are blameless, and you're holy, and you're pure, and you're ready for this wedding day. Or if you are the city of man, you are living selfishly, and at the same time, your life is being taken away from you. You know, you are, you're thinking that you're going to save your appetites by feeding into it, but you find yourself more and more empty. You find yourself more and more desperate or lost. See, God's perfect city will be filled with citizens, perfected by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. But the city of man will find themselves destroyed by their own appetites, selfishness, and sin. Now, if we pause for just a second and you think about the world today, just the current situation in the world you, think about, you can think about anywhere in the world, You know the United States, the United Kingdom. You can talk about the, the fires in Saudi Arabia. You can think about any country in the world. And you can see the second, the city of man, where these people are destroying themselves by their own appetites and their own selfishness and their sin. You can see that. It's like they don't even realize that somehow in, when they talk about prostituting yourself out, what you're saying is I'm exchanging parts of my own soul for this thing that I think will satisfy me but without realizing that it's costing me something else it is it is waging war not just against my soul but it is destroying the physical world around me but even my health all these different elements it's like me and doritos like i know if i eat more doritos it's going to be bad for me but i the city of man will be like well my appetite's call for it and they're only 1 pound for this giant bag i have to eat them all now because i'm an idiot whereas you know the city of god your god would really be like really Bert, you know seriously if that's how you want to spend your one pound you should just give that to a homeless person that would be better than what you're going to do to yourself now you'll be like i can't hear you i'm too busy bringing this up at the register you know there's there's this picture of this real kind of brokenness of what god desires for us right he really he this is how, the kind of city that we're living in, where we're kind of filled with this darkness. And that's not what he intends. But, but God's his plan was actually that somehow we would be actually all with our different nations and our different kind of backgrounds, and our cultures, but all centered around Christ, we have this life. See, uh, from this book that I've been reading, The City of God and the Goal of Creation, true love will only be found in God's presence. What the prostitute offers is fleeting, deceitful shadow of the real thing. you you understand, like, it's not just talking about true love, like, from Shrek or from Frozen or whatever, like, it's it's talking about the love that that is deepest in your heart, in your life that you need, the kind of love that says, you know what, I I am not needing anything, I'm not yearning for anything, because I have absolute peace and identity and clarity, in fact, I know my purpose and my direction is going to be clear and found in you, God, so I, I trust wholly in you, If we look back at this picture, if this is a city of God and this is a city of man, this is what we kind of hope for. But the reality is this is kind of how we live. We are these kind of individuals in this city of Babylon. Like, we're not in heaven yet, and and we don't want everyone to die right now, so we can go to heaven. Actually, God has said, while you are here on earth, you have this responsibility to be lights in this darkness, to to share this. And, And the idea is that we are spreading this city of God to the people around us, right? The question that we have to and they'll leave with, think about is, you know, will you live as citizens of this world's godless Babylon or as citizens of God's future new Jerusalem? I, I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, it's, it's very, it feels very hard at times to make the right decision because it feels like, oh, I don't want to. I feel like I'm giving up so much. What's funny, though, is actually when you, when you turn and you say, actually, God, but there's no other city I would rather be in than the one where you are God. Then it changes your perspective, changes your focus. It means, like, that is who I am. And my identity is so closely tied to that, I don't think I could be anyone else. Currently, the situation in Hong Kong and China, I think, explains a lot of this. Now, I don't want to wade into uh, whether you are... Where, where you lean on the fence. But I will say this. For the people who are so adamantly out there protesting, they have such a strong understanding of for themselves of what it means to be a Hong Kong citizen. And it seems like, fine, from the outside, ethnically you're all the same. I can't tell. You all are black here. You could be Korean and Japanese. You know, whatever. They all look the same, right? But actually, they know for themselves, I am not from China. I am Hong Kong. Like, that identity is so strong in them that they will come out in million, two million people protests to speak out against that. On the other side, the other side might be like, well, I don't understand what the big deal is. You know, it could be better for you just to come on to the side. It's like, you don't understand. My identity is so clearly drawn. I cannot go to that side. You know, for us as Christians, we have to have that same kind of, like, like almost disbelief that you would choose anything other than Christ. Like, if, if, your, if your spiritual life, if your depth is not there, then you know that your walk with God is shallow. And, and what we're trying to say this, your kingdom vision, is, no, God, I want to go deeper. I want to be at that point where I'm like, yeah, I, you know what, I could not imagine anything different. I am defined by you through and through. And so I, I have to stand for you. I have to speak for you because I am your city. I belong to you. I am the city of God, where you are my king and you are my ruler. The three things I want to leave you with, if this is something that you really are are reflecting in your heart, this is where I want to be. The first is you have to yearn for deeper sanctification. What that means is you have to say, God, actually, I want to be more holy. I have a feeling I'm not that holy, but God, I really want to be holy. I really, really want to know what your holiness is. And I want to stop doing the things I've been doing because I want to change. Now, it doesn't have to just be in terms of, it could be your thinking, your mindset, your attitude. Whether you're acting out of selfishness or of pride or of insecurity or fears or failures. You're saying, actually, God, I want to put all that aside so I can be more and more sanctified by you. I want to have your perspective and your mindset. Secondly is you have to activate your heavenly citizenship and live differently. By activate, you have to really say, you know what? I am a citizen of heaven, and I'm choosing to live differently here and now in every space. And that doesn't mean protesting out on the streets against certain laws. What it means is actually you have to be stronger in your love, in your grace, in your patience, in your willingness to speak out against injustice, but at the same time, act. You can't just talk. You have to say, well, I got to act out. What, what drives me crazy across America is you can have all these people who are say, well, I'm really anti-abortion because it's killing baby, and then they cut all the funding for anything like adoption or for education or for trying to planning. You want to say you're, you're anti-abortion, but you want to kill every other funding that helps anyone have a baby? What, this doesn't make any sense. You have to also act on what is true and right is right by giving of your own life. And giving of your own energy and time to spend, to give, to love the people around you, to be alive in that way. It's that third one then, proclaim the victory of Christ for the growth of the city. We are already victorious in him. We are already winners. You have to live in that kind of victory and say, you know what, God, you are the victorious one. This city of heaven, I already live there. I just have to take hold of that and realize it and walk in that way. Don't let me sit on the outside of the gates any longer. But let me see that this is where I belong. If you are new to Christianity, if you're just coming here and you're exploring, you're thinking about, this is great. I think this is your first place to start. You have to start saying, okay, oh, God, I'm starting to learn about who you are. If you've never done this before, you just start by praying. And this is how you pray. You just say, dear God, Jesus, I, I, I've heard about you. I believe that you're real, but I, I need to know you more. I want to know what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Teach me. Show me. For those of us who have been Christians for a while, you have, to, you, you have to wake up. You have to go deeper. You cannot just sit and just say, like, oh, I'm just going to coast through life. He didn't raise you up to be a citizen of heaven so you can be on the dole. You know, you understand? he understand. He raised you up to be a citizen of heaven so you can live for him, to be alive, to, to pursue Righteousness. Our church, I don't, I don't care if we get any bigger, but we definitely have to go deeper. We have to really let our spiritual lives grow deeper. Otherwise, we're going to be lost when the storms come. Let's really start yearning for deeper sanctification. Really saying, actually, God, I, I need to activate my Christian citizenship, and I need to live differently. And I want to really proclaim your victory over the lies in my own life, but also to the world around me. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, you know, your, your victory on the cross is, was tremendous. I mean, there is nothing that compares to you. And, and by doing so, you opened up this way for us to be your citizens. Like, you washed us pure and holy, and you bring us into this most holy place where we can dwell. And, and yet, we, um, we take it so much for granted. Like, you are infinite light and infinite energy and infinite power, and we just stand on the sides and, and complain about who knows what. But God, so will you forgive us? You know, with this kingdom vision, will you really let us see what it looks like, Lord? Will you really move us forward as your believers in this? Because time on earth here is short. So let's live fully for you. We look to you in Jesus' name and pray. Amen. As a response for today's sermon, um, we are going to come to a time of communion. And communion is this amazing thing. So you can imagine in this city, one of the meals that we would eat as citizens of heaven is communion. Um, maybe not the same kind of bread or the same kind of wine, but there's this thing where, you know what? We are members of the city because of this. You know what's like? It's like National Day, or it's like Remembrance Day, or it's like the 4th of July, Independence Day in the States. It's a Singaporean holiday anyways. So you're remembering when your nation came to being, when we became as Christians, this happened because of Jesus. And when you take this, it's on one hand, it's remembering what Christ has done for us. On the second part, it's um, celebrating. You know, it's celebrating the victory that we have because of this. So when you take the bread and you take the cup today, you know, when when you take it, say, you know what, actually, God, I belong to you. This marks me as your own. I leave here today knowing that I am alive in you. I'm not, I'm not the same. I cannot go back to that old way of life. And I believe in your victory over all things, Jesus. Before we come to that, as we just have a bit of time, just come before the Lord. If there's things you know and you need to confess in your own heart, if you know you've not been on track with him, then put that at his feet now and I say, God, you know, I, I'm, I'm fully in on the citizen of heaven thing. I confess to you now. Will you forgive me? So let's just be still before him.